Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. This is episode 13 of the 300s podcast, and I'm once again here with my man, Big Z. How you doing over there? Doing pretty well. First football Sunday, complete success. Got out the crock pot. Time for fall. Time to put the summer behind us. And a shitty Thursday, too. Yeah, man, this weekend being the first weekend of NFL football, and as bad as some of these games have been, and there's been a lot of shitty games today, there's just nothing like it. Yeah, I'm looking around the league today, and, you know, I'm focused on my own fantasy team, but they, they look like there are a lot of bad scores out there, bad games, low scores, but still good to have it back. Yeah, there hasn't been a ton of great matchups, but uh, even the even the good ones. Like today we got Green Bay Seahawks that are on right now, and this is a shit game, too. Just really hasn't been a, a lot of good games. There's been a lot of blowouts, so um, I don't feel as bad as I did about the Patriots' loss the other night. Yeah, that's a good point, and I've heard a lot of the broadcasters talk about it. You wonder with these guys playing less and less in the preseason, the starters, the, the stars, that is, you wonder if week one is still kind of an experiment for some of these teams just because they don't get in the reps in the preseason that they might have 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, and uh, maybe it's a case of more teams – whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, adopting kind of the Bill Belichick mindset of, yeah, September is an extension of the preseason. We don't really start the season until Thanksgiving. Yeah, it might be. I mean, it would be bad for TV ratings. We know TV ratings were down last year, so that's another thing that will be interesting to see this year. It's not an election year, so will America's focus be back on football or, I don't know, that'll be something we don't know just yet, but that'll be something interesting to watch over the course of September and going forward. Yeah, so we got NFL. We got a few things we're going to talk about. We'll do a quick recap of the Pats game. That was a few days ago. We'll kind of go around the AFC East. We'll talk a little bit of fantasy. And then, of course, we're going to wrap up with a little bit of socks. So we get a few topics. So let's get into it right away. Now, the Patriots, you know, they had a disappointing loss, 42-27 to the Chiefs in the season opener. There was a, lot, there was a few good things. There was a lot of bad things. It's not the end of the world, but what are your thoughts on that loss so far? You know, they blew a halftime lead. They threw a blew a three-quarter lead, you know, they led going into the fourth. So I know that they led at a couple of those markers during the game, but it just never felt good. You know, they got that early touchdown to go up 7 nothing. That Kansas City running back coughed it up on his first professional carry, and you thought, okay, the route is on. And then they get stiffed on fourth down. They don't go for a field goal, and it feels like the momentum changes. Like I said, you know, they led after halftime. They led after three. But it just it never felt like everything was firing on all cylinders. And then the fourth quarter happened, and it was just, you know, a very rare breakdown for the Patriots in the Brady and Belichick era. Yeah, and even when the, the Patriots offense is good, it never looks good. You know, you'll look back and you'll see, you know, years they were a Super Bowl winning teams. Like, oh, they were a top five, top ten defense. And you just remember watching the games. Like, it's the whole bend, don't break thing. So it's infuriating to watch in the moment. But in the end of the day, it usually ends up being okay. But even uh, on Thursday night, watching that, giving out 300-plus yards and four touchdowns to fucking Alex Smith, that's tough to watch. That was, that was his uh, first game ever doing that, and it was only the second time ever a Belichick defense has given up you know, 300-plus yards and four touchdowns. The only other guy was Drew Brees. Alex Smith is not Drew Brees, but the Patriots made him look yeah. like it. Yeah, and it's tough to watch, too, because and the 0-17 makes me think of this as well. Has their defense always been that good? Or does this team get up to huge leads and so they can just kind of play back on their heels and, you know, keep everything in front of them? I think this has been a good defense over the years, mainly because when you're up by 14 or 21 every first half, you know, it becomes a lot easier to sit back and defend the pass because you're not going to run it when you're down by three scores early in the third. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they definitely benefit from being on a, a team with a great offense where they can play from ahead. But I wouldn't so much just categorize it as that. Like, remember the old Colts days? They all, all they had was, you know, light pass rushes. And if you got up on them, they were screwed. I think the problem with the Pats is they're, they're very turnover dependent. And then this year, especially, they're very thin. They've, they had a lot of injuries. You know, Ninkovich retired. They cut Coney Ely. That didn't work out. So it's kind of, you know, not a great, um, you know, setup out, out of the gate. And then you got the Hightower injury. And it seems like he's – I saw a PFT called it a, uh, a minor injury. So that's, that's good news. But if, if uh, Hightower's out for any extended period of time, they're screwed. They don't really have any depth in that front seven. Yeah, and this is going to be a defense that's really going to be built on scheme because – they don't have the Hall of Fame players on defense. They don't have the star names on defense. They're going to have to go together with some patchwork to try to get things to go on. And, you know, they're lucky that they play in a weak division because they are going to get some games that will feel like preseason games when they take on the Jets and the Bills. But, yeah, there's a lot of work to do. And I'm kind of worried playing New Orleans next week because New Orleans is the type of team, you know, you said the Patriots defense this last week made Alex Smith look like Drew Brees. Well, they're facing Drew Brees next week. That's kind of a problem. Yeah, this could be uh, either one of two ways. It could be a buzzsaw game where they go in and just get their doors blown off, or it could be a game where, you know, Belichick rips the guys and they turn it around. And I, I, I like to think it's going to be the latter, but, you know, like I said, the defense is so thin. I mean, you get guys out there like Cassius Marsh, the guy they traded for, who is uh, the D-end they got out of Seattle. When the Hightower goes out, they have him play in linebacker. And, you know, one of his first couple plays out there, he gets fucking smoked for a 75-yard touchdown covering the running back. But, Red, gun to your head, are the Patriots more likely to win by 21 or lose by 21? I'm not saying either one is the most likely outcome, but if you had to pick one, lose by 21 or win by 21, I would have to say they're going to lose by 21. And I'm not selling on the season. I'm not saying they're done. I'm not saying it's over. But they got a big test next weekend. Uh you know, they got a lot to put together. They're just lucky that they're going to have 10 days to prepare for that game, whereas New Orleans is only going to have six because they open up on Monday night. So, you know, that's really the only thing the Patriots got going for them right now. Yeah, see, I totally disagree. I think they're a lot more likely to win by 21. New Orleans has a great offense, but they also have a shit defense. Like you said, the Pats have 10 days to prepare. And when was the last time the Pats lost back-to-back games? Like, I don't even remember. I feel like we say that every time they lose a game and then – Occasionally they do lose back to back or they lose off a bye. <laughs> the one thing, the one thing I like to keep pointing to is just because it was the, the same exact situation a couple of years ago was they lost to the Chiefs, they got their doors blown off. Everyone called the end of the, the Pats dynasty, and they were going into uh, Cincinnati when they were really good that year, and the Pats just blew the doors off them. So I'm, you know, I'm pretty hesitant to to you know say they're going to get smoked in week two, but it's definitely going to be interesting to see. Um, if they get down early, they're probably in trouble. But I think they come out gunning. Like, even saw Brady was bullshit in his press conference after the game. So, I think they come out with a renewed focus next week. Now, one thing I'll say about this Patriots team, or not just this team, but the Patriots as a whole under Belichick, um, you know, they really don't have Super Bowl hangovers. I know they went 9-7 and seven in 2 but they started that year out 3-0. and um, They didn't make the playoffs after 7 but that's because – they went 10 and 5 with Matt Castle, 11 and 5 overall, the first 11 win team not to make the playoffs at that point in like 15, 20 years. Um, you know, so they don't have Super Bowl hangovers, but we've seen so many of them. You almost, I almost look at this team and go, you know, aren't they due to have this fall off a cliff season? I remember when they upset the Rams in 01, 
everybody said the Rams are going to be back next year, and they got out to an 0-5 start. People were falling off left and right with injuries. And then, you know, so again, the Patriots have been very lucky that they don't get hangovers. But you have to wonder, is this the year where that streak is snapped? Yeah, and the training camp didn't really go as you know as well. A lot of people had planned. I know one of the ones I, I mentioned earlier was Coney Ealy. You know, they traded draft picks for him, and they, they just ended up cutting him. It just didn't work out, which, you know, we've seen in the past. But that was a guy you were banking on. Ninkovich retired. You know, Hightower is kind of get the balky knee. Your defensive line's already pretty thin. Um, I saw a stat. It was, I think it was the 2015 or 2016 draft class. Every single one of the guys from that class is either injured or traded or cut. So there's really not a ton of depth to go from there. But I, I still think, you know, I give him the benefit of the doubt. But the one thing that really worries me more than anything, I was still, I was still talking about 19 0 as a legit possibility up until the Edelman injury. I think the Edelman injury is bigger than anything because I think that throws off the entire offense. And I think we saw that the other night. Yeah, I think I underestimated that loss as well because I'm looking at Brady's numbers now. 16 of 36, no interceptions, no TDs either. Um, you know, that's a rough night. That's under 50%. You're not used to seeing that from Tom Brady. Now, a lot of that's going to be because, you know, he's not thrown to the best guys, or let me rephrase that, you know, they're not in the positions they're normally in. Amendola was their leading receiver. He had six receptions. Other than that, no one else more, had more than three. Chris Hogan had more rushing attempts than receptions. So Edelman was the guy that would cut over the middle. He was almost like that security blanket tight end, whereas Gronkowski's the big play tight end. Gronkowski didn't have a great night. Amendola got banged up. Um, you know, they got a lot of things to work out because they're playing musical chairs right now, and I don't think they're ready for the music to stop because, you know, it, it just looked like they were ill-fitting pieces. So, yeah, I think I underestimated that Edelman injury and how much that would affect them. I think they've got the talent there, but, yeah, they're going to have to build an offense on scheme two now, at least a receiving game for Brady to throw to. Yeah, it ends up being a little bit of a, a compounded issue because Edelman goes out and that forces – uh, Amendola to go into the slot, and Amendola's nailed. Amendola's probably got the best hands on the team, but he's also fragile. He's injury-prone, and, you know, we saw that. But he was getting smoked. I mean, he was returning punts. He was uh, – Tom Brady was throwing buddy passes over the middle to him, so it didn't seem like they were really trying to, you know, take it easy with the guy, which is exactly what you need. You need to pace him. And yeah. he got smoked. He got a concussion the other night. And then they were down to Brandon Cooks. Um, they were down to Chris Hogan and uh, Philip Dorsett. So, you know, Dorsett they had for had had less than a week on the team. Brandon Cooks is his first game ever with Tom Brady. So it's really not a, a whole lot of depth in that position either, which which is weird to say because three weeks ago they had, you know, seven receivers that we thought we could bank on. An embarrassment of riches has kind of dwindled down very quickly. And one more point I want to make before we move on is just uh, the one thing I worry about with Edelman being out, and now even more so with Amadola if he's out for an extended period of time, is – Brandon Cooks looked awesome. The guy is fast as hell. Brady was hitting them with some deep balls. But what I worry about is Brady trying to force those deep balls too much. I mean, you saw it in the fourth quarter of the other game. He's just kind of hucking it deep, just hoping for deep balls. And it kind of you know, made me a little sick to my stomach because it was reminiscent of the end of uh, Super Bowl 42 when, when Brady was just hucking 40-yard bombs to Randy Moss to, in vain. So I just really hope it's not going to be one of those things where you know it's an old Al Davis offense or Rich Gannon is just trying to throw seam routes the entire game. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, that was the end of the Randy Moss era. And, of course, people were saying the dynasty was over and they got slammed by Baltimore in, you know, the year Brady came back from injury. So, um, yeah, we hope the offense doesn't go back to that, that Madden 18 offense where you just 
chuck it deep every time. Right. So I don't think it's time to panic just yet, but definitely concerned, with, especially with the injuries. We'll see who comes back. Uh, one other thing I want to touch on before we move on from the Patriots is, did you see Robert Kraft's Air Force Ones, the custom shoes he came out with? I did. I like it. I like it a lot. I want my own pair. My God. Name one other team owner that has his own shoe. Like, seriously, don't worry. I'll, I'll wait. Let me, name one other guy. You got me. All right, so let's go around the AFC East. Um, I always joke around with my buddies in my fantasy league. They try and swindle me. They're like, all right, I'll, I'll give you this bum for Bilal Powell on the Jets. And I say, buddy, no one watches more Jets games than me. I got Sunday ticket. My girlfriend's a Jets fan. I watch 16 Jets games a year, and it sucks, but I know the Jets. So today, watching Jets versus Bills, and one of the catchphrases of the year for, for this website, yuck. I mean, I, I doubt the Jets are actually going to go 0-16, but holy shit, man, they are barren. <laughs> you knew that the Bills and the Jets were at least going to win a game or two because they play each other twice. Right. I mean, it was it was tough to watch. After the purging of all their skilled players, I mean, the Jets, they got rid of Decker, they got rid of Brandon Marshall. Um, you know, they're just kind of just dumping dudes. They cut uh, their big D lineman the other day. And the only, you know, promising young skilled player they had was Quincy Anuya, who got hurt. So they really have no one there to, to watch besides Blah Powell and Matt Forte. Um, they, they it's, did get Jimmy. it's really strange to see an NFL team do what they're doing. The Jets look like the Nets out there. I mean, at least in football, there was always some element of pride in there. And guys would get cut week by week, whereas in basketball, you've got the guaranteed contracts and whatnot. But that looks like a team. Like you said, I, I don't think they're going to go under. I don't think they're going to go winless. I think they're going to win a game or two along the way. But, um, yeah, that's, that's a barren locker room. Well, this is one of the things that I – you know, if I cared enough, I would call up and just rip all the um, sports talk radio guys because I remember vividly, and they'll, you know, they'll fucking deny it to this day. They'll deny it to their grave. But I'm sure you remember what I remember back in, uh, what was it, 2009, 2010, when the Jets were, you know, good with Rex Ryan and all the sports talk radio guys, Felger and Maz, are talking about, see, this is why the Jets are good. This is why the Pats aren't good enough. You know, they're going out in free agency. They're spending the money. They're building the right way, whereas the Pats aren't doing that. And it's, you know, that was a three, maybe four-year run, if you want to give them that. And then they were fucked because they, you know, had too much dead money. They didn't draft well. They were just wasting money on veterans. Meanwhile, the Patriots won two Super Bowls since then. Yeah, I mean, but the Patriots did have a rough spot in the middle there. I mean, they've got five Super Bowls. You can't argue with that. But there was, you know, for having the best quarterback in the history of the league, they had ten tough years. I mean, I guess, you know, they But they're never the bad. Yeah, They're never yeah. bad though. What was the least the least amount of games they've won uh, in the past fifteen years? I know, I know. What, Nine, 2002. Yeah, oh two was their worst year, and then oh uh, eight was probably their second worst year, and they still won eleven games without Brady. So I mean, and you know what? Out of all the Belichick years, I'm not going to say that that was his best coaching job, but on his Hall of Fame plaque, resume, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is in Canton, I think that's something that should get referenced. You know. First team to win 11 games in 17 years and not make the playoffs wins 11 games with Mr. Irrelevant, who spent, what, four years on the bench? I mean, again, not going to make a case that that's his best coaching job, but you look at that and you go, God damn it, that's a yeah. – be proud of yourself after that season. My biggest regret from that season is how they got hosed on a tiebreaker because I would have loved to see them in the playoffs – 11-win team. You still have Randy Moss and Wes Welker in their prime. It was still a great team. You're only one year removed from arguably the greatest offense of all time. 
So, I mean, that'll be a deterrent to some people. Like, oh, yeah, Belichick should have won games. He had still Randy Moss and Welker and all them. But how many, guys, how many teams would have just folded if their franchise quarterback, reigning MVP, just, just gets hurt in game one? Most well, of the teams in the NFL. We're talking about the AFC East right now, and that's kind of the case Miami is in. They don't have the defending MVP at quarterback, but they have a decent quarterback. They're expected to be a decent team this year. Obviously not playing this week with Irma Beeren down on Florida. I hope everybody's all right down there. But, you know, moving back to football, as crass as it is, you know, you wonder if another week off for them is not a bad thing. It sucks that they're going to have to play 16 straight Sundays. I heard at first they didn't want to move that game to week 11. They probably would have rather played in Nome, Alaska this week so they could have that bye in week 11. But you wonder if another week, regardless of how crazy it has to be for that team, you know, give Cutler a little bit more time to get settled in and try to get things going because if you're the Dolphins and you're looking around the division at the Jets and the Bills, Patriots, again, we might not say this, but they might say, ooh, that's a team that looks vulnerable. I mean, that sucks. This is the Dolphins' chance, and their guy goes down. Well, that's the thing. I, I kind of agree with you. I think the, the additional week, as much as it sucks what's going on down there, might end up being a good thing, good thing for them, especially with a new quarterback and Jay Cutler. And, you know, the Jets and the Bills, they're going to suck. Uh, the Dolphins, I think, are actually going to be better than people expect, you know, assuming Jarvis Landry doesn't get suspended for whatever the hell he may or may end up done. But, you know, you get down there, you get Jay Cutler, who I think is better than most people give him credit for. He's with Adam Gase, his old defensive coordinator, who he had his best year with. So I think if you get him, you know, a couple extra weeks together, get them working together, I think he could have a pretty decent season, and this could be a, a team that could sneak into the wild card. I mean, ev- everyone complaining about Ryan Tannehill going down. Tannehill was very mediocre. He's very okay. I had a, a blog post uh, a few weeks back where I, I just went through and I compared the stats of, of Tannehill to, to Cutler, and they were pretty fucking even. Even the rushing stats, Cutler and Tannehill, pretty dead even. And you don't really think of Cutler as a guy that moves around too well. So I think something like this is going to be a revitalized landing spot for Cutler. And, uh, you know, if they get off to a decent start, I think they could sneak into a wild-card spot. Yeah, I mean, Shannon Hill's got five years on Cutler. You know, when's the last time that Cutler played 16 games in a season? And so not having a bye week, essentially, you know, makes me worry about that team. But, you know, if the division is looking weaker, they think the Patriots are vulnerable, maybe they make a run. So, you know, Dolphins will be interesting to watch. And, like, yeah, like you said, maybe Cutler finds the fountain of youth and, you know, has a okay season. Stop throwing yeah. stupid picks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think being with Gase is probably the best thing because he looked like a guy that didn't really didn't really even want to play. I mean, you throw $10 million in, in, in your face, I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do for one more year. But being with yeah. this guy, Gase, who had his best year with, I think is probably the best situation for him. Talking about not throwing stupid picks, I know that this has been said before, but in Thursday's game aside, you watch the Patriots week in and week out, and then you watch other teams play. You just want to pull your fucking hair out how many dumb mistakes players make on other teams. And that is one of the reasons the Patriots have been so consistent, why they've never been bad, is because they don't shoot themselves in the foot like so many other teams do. And so whether it was Brett Favre at the end or Jay Cutler right now, if they can just stop shooting themselves in the foot, maybe that gets them back to even at least. Yeah, it's pretty insane because if you just eliminate the dumb mistakes and just play smart football, that goes a long way. I mean, granted, we have Tom Brady. It's easier so said it, than done, but well, don't throw the, the ball up when there's eight guys down there and it's a 50-50 a, at best. <laughs> that's the thing. The Patriots, they have Tom Brady, so it's definitely uh, you know 
a much bigger advantage. But if you're just playing to not lose the game, don't do any stupid mistakes, don't throw any dumb picks, then you look around. You can be the Chiefs, who are the number two seed in the AFC. Exactly. Damn right. <laughs> and just to wrap up the AFC East, because the, the Jets were playing the Bills, the Bills, man, they, they won, but they remain an enigma. I mean, they're dumping guys like Sammy Watkins, but they're still rolling with high-priced vets like LaShawn McCoy. And McCoy looked great. He, he did step up for a few plays with, you know, a minor injury, but he came back. He looked really good. Tyrod Taylor was looking pretty decent. That guy's fun to watch. He's moving around. He's doing his best with some pretty limited weapons, just kind of running around, hucking the ball up there. Not any great, not any great receivers, but he's got LaShawn McCoy, and he's got Charles Clay. And I don't think they're going to win, you know, they'll probably go six, seven wins. But, uh, you know, Tyrod Taylor is fun to watch, even if it might be his last year in Buffalo. Yeah, you wonder if they keep around some of those high-priced names, you know, just to put some assets in the speech, you know, a little marketability. And then, you know, maybe the owners in Buffalo are saying, look, I'm not going to pay all these guys to not play. Because when you cut a guy, they're not going to take that cap hit. You know, they'll just play the card they have, play the hand they have. Yeah, and I think that was basically why Anquan Bolden ended up retiring because he he signed a one-year deal with the Bills, and then they traded Sammy Watkins like two days later. And, you know, the reports are kind of coming out. Just um, Anquan Bolden just said, well, what the hell are we doing here? I thought we were going to win. I'm not going yeah. to play for another year and just get my brains bashed in to win six games. Like, forget that. Yeah, not worth the paycheck at that point. All right, so that's been the AFC East. Now, it's been the first big weekend of fantasy football. I know we all had our drafts the last couple of weeks. I know we're all in a few leagues. We got DraftKings. We got fantasy football. And I know one of the things that uh, has been going around a lot, and I know we and you want to talk about it, was the, the DraftKings billion-dollar sweepstakes that they had coming out. Yeah, you, a chance doing a billion dollars with a B, and it's complete total bullshit with a B, too. This thing is harder to win than Powerball. Yeah, because I, I think it was what you had to pick the highest scoring uh, player in every single position, which good fucking sorta. luck, man. Good luck. No, sorta. If the contest was all right, pick one quarterback, pick two running backs, pick two wide receivers, whatever it is. If it was just pick the best player or players at every position, that would be one thing, and that would still be really, really hard. But that was not what the contest was, and I'm reading from their website right now. It's that's the most draft fantasy points that could possibly be scored within the position requirement. The perfect lineup will be determined by calculating all the lineup combinations with the NFL Week 1 player pool that fit DraftKings lineup requirements, and the highest scoring out of all possible lineups will be the perfect lineup. I don't know what the Powerball odds are on, off the top of my head, but at least with Powerball, you're picking five numbers out of 69. At least there's a goddamn chance. How many players are in the NFL? And not only that, you're not asking me to pick the top two wide receivers. You're telling me to pick the best in the price range, and then you'll go back and you'll do the math backwards? Give me a break. There is no way that anyone could ever do this. I have a better chance of doing a perfect bracket because, again, at least that's 64 coin flips, not flipping 85-sided coin 20 times. <laughs> well, it sounds like you'll be the guy leading the class action lawsuit when it comes out that the math was bullshit and they they uh, they cooked, they cooked the book. I, I know it's fucking impossible on purpose, and no one's going to win it. 
but it's just so obscenely impossible to win. Why even bother? I didn't even bother. No point getting involved with that. And they call it the perfect lineup. I mean, a perfect game in baseball is 27 up, 27 down. Pretty straightforward. Again, they're going to have to go back after the week one and run the computer. I mean, what the hell, man? I mean, I need that computer from the Willy Wonka movie. And I'm asking the computer where to find the golden ticket right now. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like the old AP poll where you, uh, you had to decide who was one and who was two. You're going to ask the computer. Yeah, the BCS makes more sense than this. Again, it's a billion dollars. Of course it's going to be impossible to win. I get that. I'm not mad about that. I would rather him do a contest for 10000 bucks, though, and do what we thought it was. Pick the best player or players at every position. If you pick the perfect lineup, fine. At least that is something that a normal person has some semblance of how to figure out. But picking these perfect lineups, I mean, because another thing, when you're playing these daily fantasy sports, you know, you want to get good value on someone that a lot of other guys aren't picking. But that's not even what you're doing here. So you're not trying to find hidden value. You're just trying to crunch numbers, move the shells around, because it even says here, scoring higher than all other DraftKings users may not be enough to win unless your lineup scores the most fantasy points that could possibly be scored out of all possible lineup combinations. How many lineup combinations could there be? How many players are in the NFL? Is it a thousand guys? Or how many skill position players? Let's say there's 32 quarterbacks, um, maybe another 100 wide receivers. Maybe I think there's like 2,500 players in the league. All right, so 32 times 100 times 50. So right now I'm just thinking about quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers. I've already come up with 160,000. I mean, <laughs> come on. I'd rather – I'd rather play Powerball. Yeah, it's a little misleading. I didn't realize it was the uh, yeah. you know, the best best possible combination out of all possible combinations. That's like some Inception shit right there. Yeah, I, again, if it was the highest scoring team within a salary cap for 10000 or 100000 whatever it want, you want to make it, then, again, if you're not going to go for the position, regardless of salary cap, at least with that, when you're trying to, if I'm going against you, maybe I pick up Chris Hogan because that money I save on Chris Hogan means I can go out and I can get Cam Newton instead of, or maybe I get Aaron Rodgers instead of, um, you know, Drew Brees. You see what I'm saying? Like there's, there's that game within the game of trying to get some hidden value out of a guy. But with this, I mean, I can go on and on. It's impossible. It's stupid. It's misleading. It's clickbait. And, it's just another reason I don't like daily fantasy. Yeah, I will say I, I play a little bit of daily fantasy. You know, I'll put in like a, a couple of bucks here and there, but I've really struggled to get into it and get serious about it. And I don't know if it's just because my brain has been hardwired to do, you know, season long fantasy where you do the draft, you you play the waiver wire game and it's something like you're actually really invested in. Like I, I get the appeal of, you know, when your team sucks and you're out of it, you might as well get some excitement from week to week. But I, I struggle to really, you know, get into it the same way I get into a season-long fantasy league. And I, I think a lot of it just goes back to talking shit to your buddies. Yeah. And, you know, I love playing the waiver wire. I play in a couple of leagues with a lot of guys from the Midwest. So I love playing the waiver wire because I'm living in the Feldman Mads. I'm living in the Kirkland Callahan. Well, the Patriots are going to pick up some they play wide receiver. Oh, who's that? Jonas Gray with four touchdowns. Like when you're playing in a, a season-long league, 
outside the market your team plays in, that waiver wire is awesome. And that's what I like because I recently bought into another fantasy football league, and I won't bring it with my team, but it's a keeper league, and I acquired a franchise that already had its keepers selected and already had the draft. And I said, you know what? I don't care if it's a reclamation project. I'm going to take it on because I think with my neighbor wire, that's that I can be the champion. Yeah. And I, I, again, to the waiver wire, that's how I've won every league I've ever, I've ever had. It's always like key additions that I make, you know, uh, one year it was picking up Tebow. Another year it was picking up Donovan McNabb as my quarterback. And those are like, you know, the key small pickups that you make down the stretch that end up winning the, the league for you. And this is kind of one of my gripes, not to go off on a tangent, but I'm in a keeper league. We're in, I think, year four of having keepers. And this is why I don't like keeper leagues. It's just because, you know, one, if you have a bad team the year before and you're going to pick out of that, you know, shit selection, you're already at a disadvantage. But um, even, if you, if, even if you get a good keeper pick, all of a sudden, you know, you're picking. The, the top 12 players in the league are already gone. So it's like, yeah, uh, this year, this year I had Zeke who, you know, we'll get into that in a minute, but ends up being a decent pick because he, he's, he's probably going to be reinstated for the, the whole season. But uh, because of that, I don't have a pick until like, you know, the start of the third round. So after that, Antonio Brown's gone, David Johnson's gone, um, Le'Veon Bell, like all the guys are gone. So by the time I get back around, it's like Isaiah Crowell. And it's like, oh, this fucking sucks. Well, and the other thing with the Keeper League, I, you know, I've never really done a Keeper League myself, but you make a good point in that on the face of it, you go, oh, this is easier. I get to keep my good guys from last year. But it makes it harder, really, because you're starting the draft at position number 25 or position 13, however many keepers there are in your league. So you get a lot further down the draft board a lot more quickly. And, you know, leagues can be won in the seventh or eighth round, and so it really just puts more pressure on down there. Now, I mentioned... I bought into a league because I acquired a franchise. I was given a price break because I really didn't wasn't able to mold it. Um, you know, the first thing I did was cut all these Viking scrubs. But part of the price break, I think, was because I did not attend the draft party. Apparently, some portion of the buy-in goes to my league's draft party. And anyone out there listening who's a commissioner, because I've been a commissioner for most of the leagues I played in, if part of the dues in your league go to you hosting a draft party, you're a snake. You know, <laughs> how hard is it for 10 guys to bring a six-pack each or for 10 guys when they get there to throw in five bucks to get the Costco pizza that's the size of a kitchen table? I mean, when I'm, whenever I'm playing in a league where the commissioner takes a rake, even if he says it's for the league party or the draft party, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. You're just cheap. If you don't want to hold the draft party, you don't have to. We can go to Buffalo Wild Wings. We can go to my house. But don't tell me you need to take 10 bucks from every guy to throw a draft party. I can throw yeah, a draft party for $8. Yeah, you can't do that. You can't, you can't be taking money out of, the, out of the pot. That's the shit kind of gets you investigated by Congress. If you're going to be commissioner, yeah. so, some of those things fall on you. If you have to throw down 30 bucks just to have a, you know, a few burgers and a few beers at your place, that's what goes into it. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. Yeah, and if you're the commissioner, hey, the commissioner, you've got a lot of power. You know, I'm not saying you're going to get the first overall draft pick every year. But being the commissioner, if there's some bullshit squabbles going on in the league, you know what? You hosting that party for $30 out of pocket is what gives you the moral authority to tell Ryan that he can't trade Aaron Rodgers for a kicker. You know, <laughs> you kind of it gives you that moral high ground. I'm a Costco member. 
I can go to Costco. I can buy that 36-pack of light beer, Kirkland Signature light beer, and a couple of big pieces. I can throw the best draft party you've ever seen for 20 bucks total, not 20 bucks each. So, and you know what? That's Craig Carton shit right there. I bet you Craig Carton was a fantasy commissioner who skimmed off the top and then served McDonald's chicken nuggets. That guy is a fucking degenerate. So I was driving to work when that I heard that news break. I think I heard it on EEI. And you know, obviously, if you know, if you're not from New York City and you don't listen, you're not like a sports radio junkie, you might not realize who that is. That's basically like if Felger got popped uh, in the middle of the night. That, yeah. that, they're the Felger and Mazza of New York City. Yeah, so they have Felger's new Yeah, it looks like I don't. I don't think Felger has enough time. One, the guy doesn't know how to use the internet, and uh, he's on 17 <laughs> shows a day. But Cardin had the fucking FBI knocking on his fucking door in the middle of the night. And the more I hear about the story, it sounds like he was just like, you know, ass over and upside down and gambling debt, just like, you know, $10,000 hands, like several million dollars in debt. So he does what any good American does. He starts up a, you know, a sham company. He gets all the VCs into it. He raises like tens of millions of dollars. And then he just starts using that money to pay off the debt with no plan of how to actually, you know, pay back his investors. What was the fuck? What was the plan? Yeah, there was no end plan. I mean, his end plan probably was to raise enough money to put it on Monday Night Football. You know, you know you are a degenerate gambler when you're betting on Monday Night, when you're trying to double up or even up on Monday <laughs> Night Football. And that's what made Al Michaels great, is they would kick meaningless field goals at the end of the game. And he'd say, oh, just a couple of people still sweating this one out. Um, <laughs> Musburger finally moved to Las Vegas. It's too bad he doesn't game anymore. He would be doing mid-major deep. Yeah, I know there was uh, a lot of... Uh, Our friends in the desert like that. A lot of backdoor covers. And, uh, you know, with the uh, Cowboys coming on Sunday night, I know this is going to be... Uh, the game will have already aired by the time this comes out, but with the biggest fantasy news of the year, Ezekiel Elliott is back. And this is huge because he's on my team. So this was something that uh, I actually took a gamble on myself because my team sucked last year. I was, I was... You know, a really bad squad. I didn't really have a ton of guys I could choose from. So it was either, you know, Jameis Winston or some other shithead later in the game or Zeke with my first-round pick. So I said, well, fuck it. If he misses six games, I guess, you know, we'll just take the risk that maybe it gets knocked down. And then it goes to uh, Peel. They say, no, we're still going to keep you suspended for six games, even though the person who led the investigation said you shouldn't get suspended. And he says, well, fuck this. I'm going to file an injunction and get it, uh, you know, get a temporary suspension on, on my suspension. And that's basically what happened. And it, it's really just interesting because, you know, well, first thing, let, let's just get out of the way. If, you know, if he is hitting his girlfriend, then he's a scumbag, of course. But, you know, that's not what we're here to talk about. The NFL bungled yet another investigation. And it's just absolutely mind-boggling. It's just the investigation after investigation, they just keep fucking up. They just cannot get out of their own way. Like, I understand. So, I understand they want to look tough on, like, domestic violence and things like that. And, you know, notice I say they – they want to look tough and not actually be tough because they're handing out suspensions like, like fucking candy with, with no regard for actual due process. And as you saw with Tom Brady last year, more and more players are saying enough's enough. Fuck this. I'm going to take the shield to court and I'm probably going to win. Yeah. Somebody probably will win at some point. Now, one of the leagues I drafted in, uh, it's a lot closer to Thursday night than most other leagues. And I don't think the Zeke news has come out yet, but I'm thinking about, but now, after the fact, and they go, you know what? I should have been a flyer on Zeke. 
speak, and I should have known better because I did that on Brady two years ago, and it, I think the same exact thing's going to happen as what happened to Brady. He appeals, the appeal gets upheld for a year or so, or you know, through the court system, and he'll serve six games in a year. You know, so I think that's going to be the play from now on. I think these guys are going to take the court, and you know, maybe one of them will eventually win. But I think Brady losing. I don't see how Zeke can beat it if Brady can't because it's not whether or not the suspension is legitimate. It's whether or not the commissioner has the ability to do it. And, you know, it, it seems like the commissioner has the ability to suspend you for two games for wearing purple cleats if he wants to. Yeah, and that's dead on. It's like it's not whether you should have been suspended. It's whether he has the power to suspend you. And he'll probably lose in a year. But what I think it is, I think it's just a very savvy long-term play by the NFLPA. Because if they just keep taking these, yeah. these, these cases to court after, time after time, they just keep dragging it out, making the NFL spend money, making the NFL look bad, keeping domestic violence and all that shit in the courtroom, in the headlines, it's going to make the NFL say, all right, fine, we're going to change the appeal process because we don't want this to be just dragged through the mud every single time. That would, that would require Goodell to have some self-awareness, and I don't know that he does. Um, but they, they do what the NHL does. I forget the guy's name, but they get a guy ahead of discipline. There's a, there's a guy, or in baseball, it's Joe Torrey. Not to go off on a tangent here, but Joe Torrey holding a grudge against that umpire 15 years later. I like Joe Torrey a lot more after I hear that. You know, isn't that everybody's dream? Some umpire, somebody's giving you a hard time, and then when you get in a position to turn the screws on them, 15 years later, you don't forget. Oh, i got to always respect a good grudge. Appreciate the shit out of a good grudge. Good for Joe Torrey. Angel Hernandez is an asshole. You're not not getting the yeah, job Angel because, Hernandez. Because you're not not getting the job because you're Hispanic. You're not getting the job because you're an asshole and you big time everyone and you're grandstander. You're the umpire. Call the fucking strikes. Yeah, I mean we've said it here before. If you're an umpire and we know your name, there's a problem. Other than biceps McGee. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason for me to know your name. Ed Hockley is the only guy's name you should know because he's got fucking cannons. All right, so to wrap up football before we move on to the state of the Sox, uh, one thing I want to touch on was just the college football bonanza that I went on yesterday. So college football is something I've been Yeah, how many hours do you watch? So more, I've been getting into college football more and more over the years. Uh, just as I finally picked my own team, you know, back in the day it was like Boston College because we're from Boston, and I finally realized when I was younger <laughs> that's, that's, a dead end, that's a dead end street. After Matt Ryan was gone, it was, it was, there was no going back for that. That was, you know. You get Flutie, and then you get Matt Ryan 20 years later. I'm not waiting another 20 years for a competitive team. So, uh, you know, a few years back, I decided on, on Oregon to be my team because, you know, they're fun to fucking watch. They run 100 plays a game. They got baller-ass uniforms, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I've been watching more and more college football. So uh, yesterday was, like, you know, the first really big weekend where there was a lot of games, a lot of big matchups. So I sat down to watch uh, Oregon at 4 o'clock, watch that whole game, Let's see, I watched uh, Ohio State, Oklahoma, great game. You got uh, Baker Mayfield going out. You could, you know, running the shit out of uh, OSU, playing his flag in the field. Uh, let's see, we had last week Josh Rosen was, you know, uh, looking like the chosen one himself. Uh, last night we had USC versus, um, who the hell are they playing, Stanford. So I basically sat down and I watched college football for seven hours straight because it was Saturday night and uh, – I had nothing better to do, so what else am I going to do? Go out and spend 100 bucks, or just sit there and watch college football until my eyes bleed? Yeah, if I sit in and watch football, I'm going to drink, what, $20, $25 worth of beer tops? No, I'm kidding. But that is a good selection of Oregon, and I'll tell you why. Their games are on it late at night. There's nothing I like more watching 
than late night football, basketball, baseball, whatever it is. I, I'd be scared to live on the West Coast. If the sports stopped at 1030, I wouldn't know how to fall asleep if I couldn't fall asleep to late night sporting events. So those Oregon games, they come on at 10 Eastern or whoever's coming on. I mean, some of these college football games come on at 1030, 11 Eastern once the season gets into full swing. I'm not staying out at the bars till 1 or 2 anymore. So if I get home on a Saturday night at 1130 and I get to see BYU, you know, start of the second half, that's great. You know, I love late night sports. I, I tuned in at the end of that Red Sox game the other night, so I got to stay up and see the final in the 19th inning. No, it's a great point because, I, you know, all my friends that have lived in L.A. and come back, you know, they say it's weird because, like, the country just kind of goes to bed at, you know, 10 o'clock at night because nothing happens on the West Coast that anyone really gives a shit about. So after 10 o'clock at night, East Coast is, you know, you know 10 o'clock uh, Pacific time, East Coast is already asleep. All the good games are over, so there's not really a whole lot going on. So uh, yeah. that was actually last night. It was, I think it was trending. It was hashtag Pac-12 after dark. Boise State was playing until, like, fucking 3 a.m. Um, you know, sometimes when I go up there, I leave my watch on East Coast time because you're exactly right. And I remember growing up as a kid, I'd say, how do they tape the Tonight Show at 5.30? You know, there's still a whole day. I'm like, oh, because they're taping it at, like, 9 Eastern time when everything's over. Yeah. And uh, I'm just trying to get into watching more and more ridiculous games. As more as more I, I can, the better. Um, you know, I picked up a streaming service where I can basically watch any game that I want at any time. So it's going to be a lot of Hawaii games at 2 a.m., you know, piss drunk coming home from the bar. Yeah, I'm more of a college basketball guy than college football, but I like it for the same reason as you. I, I love watching mid-major college basketball on the CBS Sports Network, some, uh, some Mountain West action in early December. A little Maction, a little Sky Network, you're good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap up with the state of the Red Sox. I know, uh, you know, they've been kind of up and down. They've had their fucking scandals with the Apple iWatch. They looked great. They looked terrible. David Price is still a bitch. I don't know. They look like they're going to win the division, but I don't have a lot of faith in this team. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it's been pretty up and down this whole year. They had that stretch where they went 16-4 and from the 31st through the 23rd of August, so they looked pretty good for first three weeks of August or so, but up, you know, eight and nine since, you know, so they're back to their old ways, which is streaky as hell. You know, the offense, you know, in the words of Johnny Drama, I'm like the tide. I come and go as I please, baby. Um, you know, they show up some nights, they don't show up some other nights. I'll tell you what, though, and I know that a lot of people are going to disagree with this, Doug Fister is my number two starter in the playoffs, because I agree with you. They're going to make the playoffs. They're still up three games on the Yankees in the lost column. The Yankees could catch him, but if the Red Sox went 9-10 and 10 down the stretch, the Yankees would have to go 13-7 and 7 just to tie. I don't know that the Yankees can go 13-7. and 7. They've been trending upward. I don't know if they're going to win 13-20. out of 20. And I don't know that the Red Sox are going to just go 9-10. and 10. I mean, if the Red Sox go 11-8, and 8, then the Yankees have to go 15-5. and 5. I mean, in worst-case scenario, the Red Sox host a one-game playoff. I think they're up seven games on the Twins right now who are in that second wild-card position. They're going to the playoffs. I think they're going to win the division. Obviously, sale pitches game one. But I want Doug Fister in game two, and I'll tell you why. He is 5-2 with a 2.79 ERA since July 31st when he kind of sparked that 16-4 and run. He has been a shot in the arm for this Red Sox team in the second half. And you know what? I hope David Price doesn't come back. I don't need that negative energy. Um, Doug Fister, I need to get a Doug Fister jersey, number two starter in the playoffs. But 
yeah, I mean, even if he pitches well, this team is back where we thought they were a month or two ago. But they'll make playoffs and they'll probably get swept. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe, you know, Cleveland has been running away with 17 straight wins and counting. Maybe they catch a break and they don't see Cleveland in the first round and they take on Houston. And, again, you know, with all apologies to the hurricane victims out there, we know it is a very serious situation. But if we're just looking at it through the lens of sports, even with the pickup of Verlander, there's a lot going on there for Houston. Maybe Houston starts to fade, and the Red Sox get lucky with a matchup in the first round. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think I think the Red Sox are going to win the division. I think the Yankees have too much ground to make up with not enough not enough games left. But I think it's kind of been a microcosm of the whole season. They've been up, they've been down, they've looked great, they've looked like shit. And you know, I just don't think the starting pitching is really where it needs to be. I mean, Chris Sale's been great aside from you know, a few bad starts. Doug Fister's been a huge surprise. Erod's up and down. Porcello just lost his 17th game of the fucking year tonight. Um, you know, David Price is still out. I think it's going to be kind of what we expected at the beginning of the year. They're going to be a pretty good team, but they're not going to have enough to win it. They're going to win the division. They're going to get to the first round, and then, you know, if they play the Indians, they're screwed. If they play the yeah. Astros, maybe they can get out of the first round. But I don't see them making any noise, so I'm still watching the games, but I just don't find myself emotionally invested in this team. I don't think they have that thing that you need, you know, whether it's the idiots or the, you know, the, the bearded brothers or whatever it is, they just, they don't have it. They just kind of seem like a collection of guys. Yeah, I would agree with that. I wrote about them a couple of weeks ago for a while. They didn't have a guy with 20 home runs on the team. And so it just seems like, you know, that glue isn't there that they need to kind of make that run to have that, mm, the, the, the chutzpah, if you will. Yeah, there's no kind of swagger. And I know uh, it's kind of a cliche to just say, you know, power hitters bring swagger, but it's true. But then you've got guys like Hanley Ramirez, who's had a really disappointing season. Mookie's had a disappointing season. Bogart's had a disappointing season. I think it's, uh, you know, to kind of use a, a throwback term, I think it's a bridge year. I mean, going into yeah. this year, we, we thought it was going to be a rough year at third base. We end up getting Rafael Devers out of it, who looks like a perennial all-star. Uh, ben Attendee's yeah, I mean, had a, a rough, rough go, but he was the number one prospect heading into the year. If you get those two guys right, man, this is a this is a good lineup in the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, and I think the pitching is good for the next couple of years. With Porcello, I've been thinking about it. We obviously have a quality start, which is six innings or more, three runs or less. And yeah, I don't. What what would the opposite of a quality start be? Just you know, just getting shit canned in a game. The reason I bring that up, because we should come up with the numbers, because Porcello has not gotten his ass beaten in that much. He has, he's been snake bitten. On Sunday, you know, he went five innings, two earned runs. Obviously, you'd like to see the guy go longer in the game, but it's not like he's going out there in three innings and getting bounced, giving up seven runs. He's not putting his team in a hole the way David Price does when he's in a skid. So, again, We've got quality start. We need to figure out what the opposite of a quality start is so we can find something in the middle because he's snake-bitten Porcello right now, and it's tough to see, um, but maybe that shows you how fine the line is between him winning the Cy Young last year and a couple of more fly balls finding holes in the outfield this year maybe. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you, Porcello. He's not as bad as his record says. I mean, 17 losses looks really bad. He's not that bad. His ERA is, you know, almost five, so he's definitely not great. But he's had shitty run support, so I, I think you're you're probably onto something where there needs to be something in between a quality start and a sh- getting shit canned and you know having a dominant outing. Maybe it's maybe it's something like uh, you know a few years back they added the hold 
which I don't think anyone even fucking keeps track of, but the stat exists. So, you know, it's uh, Porcello, not exactly the worst pitcher in baseball, but he's definitely not the Cy Young winner, which is exactly what he was his whole career. He was a four-year guy. He was a fourth starter most of his yeah. career. So um, if he can get a little bit better than that, they'll be okay, but definitely not someone I have a lot of confidence in going into the playoffs. Yeah, he would be my fourth starter. And, uh, yeah, you know what the hold is like I do. You know he's played in some real nerdy fantasy baseball leagues. <laughs> I was going to say, I know the hold. I know what the hold is, but when was the last time you heard the hold reference? Oh, this guy's got eight holds on the year. Yeah, that I mean, I guess if a reliever is, can have a blown save, they got you know, they need to have something there as well. That is some uh, some deep web baseball reference stats. And, and you know what else it is? I mean, it's not even a sabermetric thing. It's just, it's another thing created for fantasy baseball with Watson hits for innings pitch. That was invented for fantasy baseball. Well, it should be a thing. I mean, one, because, you know, you get guys like Craig Kimbrell who are refusing to go out there and, you know, pitch two innings because, or even pitch in a tie game because they want the saves, which I don't blame them because the entire industry pays you to get saves. If the guy has 45 saves versus the guy who has 30 saves, you go, oh, the guy who got 45 saves, he obviously is better. And that probably is not necessarily the case. But then you also have these guys that are just bred to be pure three-out closers, get the save, and get out. And they're just all mental fucking midgets. Like, look at Araldis Chapman the last two months of the year. The guy's been absolutely broken because he blew a couple of saves. Yeah, that's what was nice about Francona and Andrew Miller in Cleveland is, you know, they weren't, used to, they weren't afraid to use their best reliever when it suited them the best, not just the ninth-inning guy. But you have to be a special breed for that. And, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of surprised that it was Terry Francona who kind of broke through that wall. I know that when he got hired in Boston 13 years ago, he was willing to play ball with the sabermetricians. But, you know, he's still kind of an old-school guy. Um, But, yeah, other than Andrew Miller, they are, you know, they won't get up unless there's a one, two, or three-run lead and only three outs to get. See, that was something that was awesome to watch, very fun to watch the Indians last year, watch the way Francona used the bullpen, I'm going to use my best pitcher in the sixth inning if it's, a, if it's a big situation because that's the way you should do it. We're not going to just follow old baseball rules. We're going to do hardcore money ball, which works. But I don't get it while it was just like such a mind-blowing thing, and he was the first guy to do it. That book came out fucking 14 years ago. Well, and it's still surprising because even for him, you know, he's agreed to play ball with the money ball guys, but he's still kind of an old-school guy. I'm surprised we haven't seen a younger guy, a younger manager do that. But – you know, maybe it's the type of thing where a lot of these younger managers and a lot of managers in general aren't former pitchers. And so I wonder if they're just afraid to piss off these pitchers so they tend to stick with what they know. I mean, because win or lose, if you're going to get ridiculed when you lose for trying something new, I'll just do the same old thing. And at least that way, if I lose, I'm not going to get my ass handed to me on talk radio. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to do money ball and piss people off, you're probably going to be a more established guy. You're not going to be, you know, Sean McVay, 32, going out there trying to run brand-new schemes and have people saying, what the fuck are you doing? You're going to get fired. So I'm, I glad, talk about, I'm glad Frank Conner was doing it. I talk about managers for the most part. Not many of them are former pitchers. Well, John Farrell is, and, uh, you know, just uh, one of the leading minds in the game, isn't he? For, he's, he was a weird situation because when he was the pitching coach for Frank Conner, he was – you know, aside from the John Wayne thing where he's a big hard-ass, which he's obviously not, but he was a pitching genius. He knew what he was doing. He was smart. He knew how to get the best out of pitches like Clay Buckholes. He knew what he was doing. 
And now it just seems like he's a fucking clown. He doesn't know what's going on. He he sends guys out, you know, like like Chris Sale is going to be 20 innings over his, uh, his, his, you know, next highest innings pitch per year. The guy's going out with eight innings pitch with 120 pitches for no reason. And I just feel like he doesn't really know how to get the best out of this rotation. And then he's got guys like David Price, the highest paid pitcher on the team, just talking out of the side of his mouth, making him look like an asshole. So Farrell, I don't know how, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know how he still got this job, but he's definitely taken a fall from grace since he was the, the stud pitching coach. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, it's going to be tough to fire a manager of a division team, but I mean, I don't think he's the guy to take any team forward. You know, it's tough. Pitching coaches usually don't make good managers, at least in my opinion. Give me Darius, Gary DeSarcina. They did well when he managed a couple of games this year. Yeah. Maybe maybe they'll bring Tech out of the front office. Like, I know so many Red Sox fans want to see. <laughs> That'll be like Major League All right. 2. <laughs> All right, so uh, we talked about the Patriots. We talked about the AFC East, fantasy football, all that shit. Red Sox wrap-up. Anything else you want to touch on before we close it down? Nah, I'm good. Just good to have football back. We'll touch more on it later. Celtics are going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think you referenced it on the blog this week. Doc Rivers saying it's the fastest from NBA history. We'll touch on this in the future, but very excited about the sixth season, too. Yeah, the Celtics are going to be great to watch this year. Doc Rivers is having second thoughts of, you know, fucking blowing off the, the Celtics like an ex-girlfriend who got hot again. Celtics backdoored their way into a major video grudges. game cover. Speaking about grudges, I don't hold a grudge against Doc Rivers, and I don't think anyone does. When he left, what was it, five years ago at this point, my opinion was the guy's been here for a decade. He was with his team when it sucked. He was with it when they were good. You know, he's giving you everything he has. He wants to move on. People move on in life. They move on from one job to another. So I don't hold a grudge against him, but and I don't think many people do. But it is fun to see how much better a position the Celtics are in now than the Clippers are in. Again, I yeah, wish him nothing exactly. but a grudge, but it feels good. Exactly. I don't, I don't hold a grudge against them because they were going to be shitty, and if he was here, we weren't going to be any better anyways. So it's not like it makes yeah. a huge difference. But with that being said him saying he wants to be here for the rebuild and then saying, ah, never mind, I changed my mind, and he jumps down to L.A., and then just four years later, it's such a better situation here than it is there. It's good to see. Maybe it's just pride of Celtics fan that Gandy has once again hoodwinked the rest of the league. Yeah, I mean, Doc leaving is one of the best things that could have happened. I ended up getting um, Brad Stevens out of that. So enjoy L.A., Doc. You, uh... You got Blake Griffin, who's, what is he, 29, 28, but he's aging in fucking dog years. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get into Celtics more as the coming coming weeks. We'll talk Pasternak and the Bruins, if he's still here next time we have a podcast. And then, uh, of course, we get some more Pats talk with, uh, you know, New Orleans Saints coming up, and we got a big season coming up. And hopefully the, uh, the Pats can get out of their funk, and hopefully the, the Sox don't get swept in the first round of playoffs this year. Yeah, that'd be a plus. All right, guys. Thanks for listening uh, to the 300th podcast. We'll see you guys next week.